So did everybody have a good week? Yeah. Sounds like a great one. Yeah. yeah, we had a couple good weeks. That's good. How many of you are struggling with this ridiculous cold that just won't go away? Anybody? Got a couple? I had it like a month. This is getting ridiculous. Not fun. It's been a rough week for me, um, just with the not feeling well and just a, a crazy week. We had 30-hour famine this weekend. Some of our students went 30 hours uh, from Friday afternoon till Saturday night without eating. Um, not just because they thought it would be fun, but to raise money for World Vision International and to help fight hunger and just kind of get that feeling of, you know, what's it like? Because really, none of us know what it means to be hungry. You know, we've all you know, you go from lunch to dinner, and by the time dinner gets there, you're going, oh man, I'm starving, but that's about it, you know? We don't ever wait longer than that, for the most part, so um, just a neat opportunity. So that was going on, um, so we've got a couple tired faces in here this morning, um, kind of draining on them, but uh, it was a great time. So um, I do, I hope you guys had a great week. Um, it's, it's definitely a, a great opportunity and privilege to um, be here with you this morning and be able to um, share a little bit. Um, I had some, some big plans for what I was going to speak on this morning, and Bill just crushed them. He wouldn't let me speak on what I wanted to talk about. Um, it's entirely not true. So, um, but uh, but it was cool, um, Jesse. I'm gonna put your music up here so I don't mess you up too bad. Um, but uh, you know, Bill brought up a great point when we were talking about um, what was going to happen this morning. That uh, you know, this this First John series that we're going through is is not Bill's series. It's not like Bill, you know, all by himself said, "All right, I'm going to teach on First John." It's my thing, I'm going to do it. You know, it's definitely something that, that's interactive. It's something that we're all doing. He's been encouraging everybody, and I hope you have been, is uh, opening up your Bibles to this um, whopping, what, about three-page book in the Bible and, uh, and getting into it. It's a, it's a great thing to be able to, to read through it and to know exactly where he's going to be and to be able to kind of journey with him in that. Um, something that I really enjoy knowing what he's going to speak on and just being able to, to experience that with him. So I hope that's something you've been able to do. If it's your first time with us, I'll let you know we're going through 1 John. It's a great book, um, a lot of uh, really great themes. I don't know, how many weeks have we been on this? Four, five? We're in chapter one, so we're moving right along. If you want to, uh, if you want to start flipping in your Bibles to 1 John, um, let's see. And I don't have any nifty uh, slides this morning, I apologize, um, but I do know that that's on page 844. So if you don't have a Bible this morning, if you didn't bring one, don't have one, we've got, um, got them at the ends of the aisles, inside, outside. So just take a look for one. Um, I'll kind of let you know what page it's on so you can follow along. It's a great thing to have your Bible out and be able to see you know, what we're talking about and be able to have it right in front of you. Um, and also, if you, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take it home with you. Um, those aren't, they don't say property of Family Bible Church. They're just there. So take it home and get into it. So, um, so we've been talking about this. We've been talking about how John is the one who is writing this, this letter. John, uh, the Apostle John, walked with Christ. Um, he penned this letter. And so Bill's kind of been doing a review every week. So I'm going to continue with that because I love reviews. It's really easy for me to learn something and it clicks. I'm like, yeah, I got it. And then I completely forget it if I don't review it. I'm a repetitive learner. So I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to ask you, um, who is John writing this book to? Do, does anybody remember? What kind, of, what kind of people? Believers. believers. That was the answer I was looking for. Thanks, Ricky. All right, so he's writing to believers. He's, he's writing this book not necessarily as a way to draw people to Christ and to come to know Christ and to come into this relationship with Christ. He's writing this book to people who have experienced Christ, who have Christ in their lives, who have made that, that commitment, who have that understanding, and he's writing this um, about the Christian life. 
all right? And it's, it's, a, it's kind of a, an encouragement to them or what their life should look like through Christ. And, um, and Bill's been talking about that, doing a great job of really challenging us as to how our life looks and what it looks like in Christ. Okay, let me ask you this. Why is John writing this book? He says three times in this book, I write to you because. Do we remember him? I heard Lance, that was good. So that your joy may be complete. All right, there's one. So that you may know God. That's number three. Anybody remember? I'm seeing sign language. So that you may not sin. All right. So that you may know, so that you may not sin, and that your joy may be complete. Those are three times where John repeats, repeats why he's writing this book. All right. Um, so, so here we are. Last week, um, Bill went through, um, we're actually in chapter two. I said one, but um, we are making progress. We're in chapter two. Um, Bill talked last week, and we were, uh, we, there was all this great stuff in here about, about life and about light and about darkness and all these, different, um, all these different things. We talked about how darkness is the complete absence of light and just something that stuck with me and all these, um, these different characteristics. And um, so we've been going through, and, and he goes, verse nine, um, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. It's telling us, you know, uh, about our love and our relationship with others. And it goes on talking about hating our brother and darkness and has this great picture. And then all of a sudden, if you're looking in your Bible, verse 12, you see how it just kind of, like everything changes in verse 12? It looks different, right? It, it just, you know, visually it's different. There, there's something going on here. We're gonna go from uh, verse 12 to uh, 14 this morning. And uh, I wanna pray with you guys. I wanna pray um, together that, that God would just use this time um, and use his word and that he would speak to us through this. We're gonna go through this and we're gonna kind of break down exactly what John's talking about here. And I'm gonna do my best to, to try to, um, to bring about what, what I feel like the meaning of this is, what John was, was trying to teach through this. So if you would, join me with prayer. Father, how we again um, just continue to be before you this morning and continue to worship you and continue to uh, look to you and to acknowledge you. And Father, to try to, I pray that we just try to align our lives even more with you this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for the words that are there to tell us how to live our lives how to come to know you and what to do with our lives once we do know you. Father, um, everything that we need is right there in those pages. And I thank you for an opportunity to get together and just to focus on that for a little while this morning. Lord, we love you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so um, I'm not necessarily looking for hands here, but is, does anybody get offended when there's a lot of scripture shared in a sermon? Um, I hope not, because I'm gonna share a lot of scripture this morning. Um, and I hope it's not something where you're like, oh my gosh, why is he going on and on about Scripture? Just stick to a verse. I think that the, that the Bible interprets itself. Scripture interprets Scripture. So to really get a good picture of the exact place that we're in, we need to look at the big picture. So we're going to do a little bit of flipping this morning. Feel free to flip with me. I'll give you page numbers for the, the pew Bibles. Um, if you don't have a pew Bible, you're on your own. So you have to find it in your little tabs and, and open it up. But uh, feel free to follow along. And if not, you know, just, uh, just think about the, the words that we're talking about this morning. Let's read verses 12 through 14 together. It says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you, 
and you have overcome the evil one. All right, 12 through 14. It's, it's a little bit different here. It's a little bit like, the only thing that I can, that I can think of this, it's almost like a poetic type of, of area. The only thing that I can think of it as is to me it's almost like an, an aside. A word that we don't use very often. Fortunately, I'm a, I'm a Shakespeare scholar, if you don't know that. I, I love, why are you laughing? I love Shakespeare. Um, no, I, I can't do it anymore. I, I hate Shakespeare. Terrible stuff, um, in my opinion, sorry. But uh, it, it's kind of like that where, you know, there's, there's a dialogue going on. I think about it like in plays that I've seen and in musicals and stuff. And there's this dialogue going on and, and they're, they're talking back and forth and, and Romeo's, you know, all about, oh, you're beautiful and your hair and, you know, what light through yonder softness breaks. And, and then Juliet's, you know, looking down and, and talking. And it's almost like, you know, it's almost like when they're talking and all of a sudden Romeo's in the middle of everything and he goes... So what you need to know about Juliet is, and then he just kind of starts talking, you know, and in, in, and in musicals, it's so funny because they're, they're in the middle of this dialogue and they're sitting in a chair and they're communicating and then all of a sudden up they come and they start singing and the lights go out over here and this person just kind of sits there still and this person's singing and dancing and twirling and everything's happening and then the big finish comes and they slide into their seat and the light turns back on and it's like nothing ever happened. You know, it's this beautiful thing that doesn't happen in real life. You'd be crazy to think that it did, but that's an aside. It's, it's something that's going on over here. It's almost like a, by the way, let me explain this to you because you might be lost otherwise. That's kind of how I see this. I see this as kind of a, kind of a thing where John's talking about, about light and darkness and he's sharing these things and he's saying, you know, this is how your life should look. And then he says, you know what? Let me reiterate something here. Let me remind you of something. Let me talk to you one more time about your status and about who you are and why I'm writing to each of these different people. What I see here is this, this like layering of this strata that, that John creates of, of believers. He takes this big group that he's writing to, all these people, probably thinking everyone, not just the people that he's writing to in that day, but people that are going to be reading these words that, that the Lord has inspired him to write for thousands of years. And he says, let me, let me make sure that we break this down into the groups that you're in. Because yeah, we're all one in Christ. We know that, right? A Christian is a Christian. We know that. That's important. But I think here he kind of starts to, starts to divide it up and say, this is why I'm writing to each group. This is why I'm writing to different people. Everything here is, is family-oriented, we have three groups. We have dear children, the little ones. We have fathers, the older ones. And then we have the young men, the middle. All right, and the thing about this is I'm not just speaking to the men this morning. I'm not speaking to children and men. Um, you know, if, you, if you've read your Bible very much at all, you've come to find out that when the Bible says man, it's, it's a broad term. We, we are man. God created man. God created woman but he created all of us. And we all kind of fit under that category of man and men. So when this is written to fathers and to young men, it's not just to the men of the church, not just to people that know the Lord that are men. It's written to, to all of us. All right, so we're going to break it down, not necessarily according to gender. We're going to break it down according to not age, because it's not about age. It's not about where you fall, you know, according to how many years you've been on the earth. But this is a breakdown of, of believers in the time that they've known Christ. Let's go ahead and jump into the first one in verse 12. It says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Now, I get kind of confused. I told you I'm a repetitious learner. I got to hear something over and over and over again before I really can click it. Um, I'm also a visual learner. I have to see it. If I can't see it, 
forget about it. I can't follow you. If you try to explain something to me and it's not right in front of me, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I got to be able to see it. So as I'm reading through this and studying and preparing, I had to break it down because it's kind of, it's kind of strange because he says little children and then fathers and then young men. Then he starts over little children, fathers, young men. Um, and so I had to kind of just break it down and put my little children here and then fathers and get it all, you know, oriented that way in my mind so that I didn't get confused. What I found out is in verse 12, in the end of verse 13, both places, I don't know what your Bible says, different versions, um, but in mine it says, dear children, both times. So here we are in the English language again, where it just doesn't quite cut it. The words that we use just don't quite get the message across. Um, so what we have to do is we have to find out exactly who he's talking to here, because if we lump them together and say, dear children and dear children, same thing, gotcha, moving on, we're going to miss a little something. The word that's used for dear children there, I'm not going to give you the word because nobody really probably wants to hear it and you'll probably never remember it. Um, but the word that's used there is a, is a general term. It's a general term and it's an, it's an affectionate term. He's saying, saying dear children. He's talking to everyone here. It's this broad term that's used and he's saying to all the people that I'm writing to, to all of you, it's this affectionate term where he says dear children. You know, I don't get up here and say, dear children, listen to me. It's not really something that we do nowadays. Um, I was trying to think, maybe if I got up here and I said, um, friends, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think would cut it. But it's, it's an affectionate term. And he's preparing right now with this word tells us that he's preparing to share something very important. It's not just a, hey guys, you know, it's a, it's a, very, it's a very solemn thing. A very, a very serious thing is going to follow this. Um, this term we've already seen, and maybe you remember. Look back in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, my dear children. Same thing, right? Verse 28 in chapter 2 that we'll be getting to a little later on. You can look ahead. And it says, and now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. That's a pretty important verse. There's something pretty serious going on there. Even in uh, verse 1, it says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That's something we talk about every week. That's really important. All right, so he's setting this up here. And it's addressed to everyone. And the cool thing about it is I love being able to find out where these, where these terms are used because I think it, it really just reveals to us the, the significance and the importance of it. In John chapter 13, remember, John chapter 13 is John's gospel. Same author, same word. Chapter, chapter 13, verse 33 Christ has just washed the disciples' feet. Pretty significant time. I think we can agree on that. He's talking about his, um, his betrayal. It's coming down to the end. And he starts uh, really teaching on some pretty heavy topics. And it says in verse 33, Christ says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. This is a heavy, heavy time right now. Christ's heart is so heavy because he knows what's coming. He knows that he's not going to be with them very much longer. And he, and he reaches out to him at this time and he uses this word and he says, my dear children. It's a, this beautiful imagery that I see here of, of this parent-child relationship. You know, he's not just randomly addressing them as, as a group of people that I kind of know. Hey guys, listen up. He, he says, my dear children. He takes it upon himself to say, you're, you're like children to me. You're like these, these ones that I protect. You're, you know, you're these, these ones that I, that I want to guard, you know, from everything that's going on. I just want to draw you to me. You know, my dear children, listen to the words that I speak here. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's, a, it's a family thing. And it, and it goes outside of everything else, every other word that he could use there. 
my dear children. It's a beautiful phrase. The next part of, um, of that first verse there says, because, uh, says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And we look at that and say, why, you know, why does he say that? What's the significance of that? I think, I think it is significant. I think it's easy to skip over, but I think it's something that we need to think about because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I think we can all agree that's a pretty important subject, right? It's a pretty important topic, sins forgiven, right? It's pretty much a primary, like a founding, like a cornerstone, like a building. Everything is built upon that, right? Before anything else can happen, before any type of, of growth or anything in the Christian life can happen, that has to take place, that forgiveness of sins, you know, when we, when we talk to young people and we, and we teach them about Jesus, we don't go to them and say, um, this is what the Lord's Supper is. Let me, let me explain the Lord's Supper to you. Well, that would confuse them. You know, we don't go to them and, we, and talk about the resurrection, you know, the, the resurrection of the, of the souls, you know, one day. We don't talk to them about the second coming of Christ. It would be confusing. We have to start at this, at this place of forgiveness of sins. We have to talk to them. We have to say, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, why did Jesus die? Because of your sin, because of our sin. It's so important, but it's, but it's a very general thing. It's something that applies to everyone. So I think when John's writing here and he's saying, you know, dear children, those of you who are close to me, listen to me. I'm writing this to you, John says, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name something that they can all come together on, something they can all agree on, something that takes place in all of their lives. Very important, but an elementary truth that applies to all of them. Let's look at verse, uh, the next part of 13b. We're just gonna kinda, kinda do what I do as I map this out. And we're gonna look at the next phrase where it says, dear children. Verse 13b says, B, that's not in the Bible, but that's how I learned it. It says, I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. Completely new word. It still says dear children in English, but it's not the same thing. It's not the same phrase. This is the one that we can kind of um, probably understand a little bit more because this word means the, the, the youngest, the youngest believers, the, the elementary believers, the ones who are, who are just getting started. These are the ones that, that uh, maybe have just come to know Christ, have just come to know the truth of Christ, have just come to realize the importance of the cross. And this is such an amazing time because it's easier for us to read it and to think, okay, this is talking about those who have just come to know Christ. You know, in our day, it's completely different. Those who have just come to know Christ are the ones who somehow have, have, have come to find out the truth of Christ. You know, something that's, that's an age-old thing that, that has been known. You know, Christ's death on the cross has been known for so many, so many years. But for this time right now, John was writing this. And remember, John walked with Christ. We have a, an idea that John wasn't a very young man when he wrote this book. But the cool thing about it is it's a whole different scenario for them. Because Christ has just died on the cross in their lifetimes. All right, and there's this explosion. There's this explosion of, of you know, Christ being the way to God. It's the, the first time that this has happened. Christ has died on the cross. The prophecy has been fulfilled, and there's some excitement. There is some huge excitement. Have you guys ever been around a new Christian? Have you ever been around somebody who just, like, it clicks? 
You know, it's such an awesome thing, and there's so much excitement. There's so much exuberance behind it. They just, they want to tell everybody their whole life, their whole life is a drastic change. You know, all of a sudden, their Bible's in front of their face all the time, and they're reading, and they can't get enough, and they're growing, and they want to tell everybody, and they don't care what anybody thinks, and it's an amazing thing. Isn't it sad that that kind of goes away, that we kind of let that go away, that excitement sometimes, and it has to be renewed in us? But that's what I think of when I read this. I write to you, dear children, I write to you, the youngest believers, the newest believers, the ones who are just getting started, who just have started to understand, because you have known the Father. These people that he's writing to here at some point have been, have been called, God has called them to himself. He has put that, that, saving, that saving knowledge in them. They understand. They've been saved. And it's brand new. And there's this excitement behind it. And we can read about this excitement of them. We can read about the excitement of, of the disciples when it finally clicked for them, which unfortunately was after Christ died. It took them a while to really get it. But man, afterwards it exploded. It was going crazy. People were just coming to know the Lord in droves. We, we can look in Acts at the beginning of the church and all the amazing things that happened there. These are those people that he's writing to here, these new believers. All right, and it's different because we talked about the, the dear children, which is the, uh, the, the general term. And we talked about how that's because their sins are forgiven on account of his name, that, that foundational building block. And we move on now to the youngest believers. I write to you because you have known the Father. Now, you might look at this and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would he talk to the new believers and say, because you have known the Father? You know, knowing in, in the Bible, a lot of times we think of as this, this deep understanding, this, this really deep thing, like between a, a man and a wife to know each other. Um, but I think the neat thing about it is, is when you do come to know Christ, when, when, that, when that finally clicks and he calls you to himself and you know him, I mean, you know him don't you? Like, there's nothing that's pulling you down. There's nothing that's dragging you back. There's, at that point, there's no Christian standing over you going, you shouldn't be doing that. The Bible says this, you know, there's nobody that's picking on you and saying, your life isn't how it's supposed to be because it's brand new. What are you going to do? You know, it's like there's nothing pulling you back. There's no weights on you. It's just this freedom in Christ, and it's a beautiful thing. And I think also he's talking here, he uses that term, dear children, this, this familial reference again, dear children, Think about kids and think about the times in the Bible that we read when Christ talks to children. And just think about, about how beautiful it is for a child to know him. You know, like they don't know everything. They don't understand this necessarily. This is communion in case you didn't know. Um, you know, they don't understand that. They don't understand all those doctrinal issues. You know, they don't, they don't know that, but they know God, you know? And it's a great thing to be able to get to a point where we're learning and we're growing, and we're going to talk about that too. You know, it's a beautiful thing, but it's also a beautiful time to be a new believer and to have that freedom in him, that freedom in Christ. I want to do the same thing I did with the last one, and I want to look in another place in John's gospel where he used that same term. Um, if you want to, flip with me to, uh, excuse me, to John chapter 21. This is one of my favorite passages. I love this passage and um, would, love to, would love to be able to talk to everybody about it sometime. I'm, I don't have a lot of time this morning to spend on it. Um, but just to catch you up, now we've moved a little further into John and now Christ has, has been crucified. 
And um, then they go to the tomb, which we're going to be talking about very soon, I believe. Um, I think there's a holiday coming up we're going to celebrate. And uh, so all these things have, have come about, and he's gone. And so at the beginning of chapter 21, all the disciples who have been with Christ and toiled with him and poured their lives into him and left everything behind to follow him are going, you know, Christ died, the tomb is empty. And then they go, what do we do? And they say, let's go fishing. Let's go back and do what we were doing before. You know, they're just, they're just lost. I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, they didn't quite understand everything, so they go fishing. You know, it's just what they do. So they're out on the lake, and we know the story. Um, let's catch up with it in verse, um, let's see, let's look at verse 5. Um, we, better, we better talk about it. They're in the boat. They're not catching anything. Fishing's not going real well. All of a sudden, there's this person on the shore we know is Jesus. In verse 4, it says, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat, on the right side. And if you know the story, they can't even bring the net in. It's too full of fish. I mean, it's a ridiculous thing, you know. Without Jesus making that happen, it couldn't happen. No fish here, but more fish here than they've probably seen in their lives almost, except for when this happened before in Scripture. It's happened again. All right, man, I, I don't, I don't want to get off on a tangent on this. I love the story, but I'm going to... I'm going to pull in the reins on that, but I just want to focus on that on verse, in verse 5. Christ calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? And we see that word and we say, oh, that's a different word, friends, right? That's different. Well, it's the same word. It's the same word that, that we've been talking about where he's talking about the youngest believers. And I think it's really crazy that Christ uses this, this childlike little children reference when talking to the disciples. You know, they don't know him. And I kind of get this picture of Christ, you know, he's kind of standing on the shore and watching them and like, silly guys, they're fishing. They don't know what's just happened. They don't quite get it. And he says, hey, little fellas, you got any fish? You know, I almost think it's like this, almost this, this like teasing type thing of, of little children. How's it going? It interprets it as friends. It, it all kind of ties together, but it's not like this, uh, this, this giant word, this, this giant respectful word of um, men, cast your nets on the other side. You know, we don't get that picture. We have this picture of Christ calling them in, in, in this, this term of little children. You know, hey, guys, put your net on the other side of the boat. And we think about where the disciples were at this moment, and we think about the relationship with Christ that, that he's gone and, and then he disappears out of his tomb and, and they're just not quite sure. And he comes to them at this, this like weakest moment, you know, the, this, this place where they're just, you know, man, we poured everything into him and, and he's gone and his words, you know, they're just so confused. And he comes to them like in this, this childlike way and says, you know, guys, friends, children, youngins, you know, I'm here and I'm gonna provide. You know, it's, it's this cool picture. I just love that. And I think it's so neat because John uses the word in his gospel. And then he uses it in 1 John as well. And I think it, all, it has to tie together. We have to read those together to really get a picture of it. I think the beautiful thing about dear children, the beautiful thing about the youngest of the young is that they don't have it all together yet. Disciples didn't have it all together. That's for sure. Not yet. Maybe they did later. You know, we see some pretty amazing things out of the disciples later, but they didn't have it together yet. But it's a beautiful thing, and it's this relationship of the youngest of the young being written to here. 
We'll move on to uh, the next one in verse 13. And, um, and it says this. It says, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. Look down in verse 14 and it says, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. Hmm. So there's, so there's two things that can be said here and he says one thing. You know, with children, he uses two different words and says two completely different things that mean something completely different. And then we get to fathers and it's the exact same thing. You know, I think that, I think that means something. I think it's something that, um, that has an impact there when we look at the, the fathers. Fathers, the word that's used for fathers here is talking about um, the oldest. And I'm not talking about age again. It's not the oldest people around. It's not... Um, I'm not going to use my references because I might offend people. Um, but uh, I was going to say gray hairs, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. Um, he's, talking, he's talking here to um, the, the most mature in their faith, the ones who have been there, the ones who have, who have been through it all, who have this longstanding faith in Christ, which for us is, again, completely different. It's completely different from somebody who was born, you know, many, many years before me and who, who, who I grew up with in church, um, who I respect greatly, who grew up in the church back in, who knows, the 30s maybe, and has, has been in Sunday school and then has, you know, been a young person and, 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 and taught Sunday school their whole life and moved on and, and, and been able to teach and to lead and to train and, and then has, has kids that they pour into and then has grandkids that they pour into and teach this faith. And, and, and now they're the most mature, the, the, the older ones, um, generally the ones that just have this wisdom that you respect. For us, that's how it looks. Back then, it was a little bit different because for most of them, Christ probably died around the middle of their life. You know, think about how old we say Christ was and his disciples, assuming about the same age, um, a lot of the people that he's specifically writing to here didn't know Christ as small children. So it's not just saying those of you who have been uh, with Christ your entire life and have grown up as a Christian, you know, he, he's, he's speaking here to those who are, are well established in the faith, those who who have it, who, who understand it, and have, and have been around it. And the most amazing part about this is, that makes it so different from us reading it today, is a lot of these people walked with Christ. You know, these people haven't been reading the Bible and trusting the Bible their whole lives like we have. Some of these people saw Christ and touched him and were there with him and knew him and spoke with him and saw the things that we take for granted because they're written down. And they were there. And it makes it all completely different to me when he's talking to these people that experienced Christ. I think, uh, I think for us, sometimes it's really easy to read Scripture and just to read it for Scripture. And that may not make any sense to you. I think there's a completely different way. Because when, we, when we've experienced it, when we've been there, when we've known it, when we've felt it, when Christ has really gotten a hold of us and our lives are changed and we read scripture for what it is and understand why it was written the way that it was written, I think it's completely different. I love that we're just staked out in 1 John right now because we get the first week that Bill talked about the history of who John was, what John's life looked like, um, you know, where he came from, what his time with Christ was like. 
And now we get to go in it and we get to kind of, everything that we read kind of flip back to that and say, this is why he's saying that. Let me give you an example. Um, in the beginning of 1 John that we read the very first week, you can flip there if you want to. I think it's real easy for us to go, to read it as that which is from the beginning, which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life, the life appeared. Does that mean anything to you when I say that? Maybe it does, maybe you've read it before. But without, you know, it's just, it's just words. We can just read it and be like, that's flowery words. It makes me feel all right, but it doesn't really impact my life. But the cool thing about this is I see John, um, as he's writing this, being probably in that, that eldest group, that group of, uh, of fathers, that group of, of the most mature. I see him right there, and I see him writing this, and it's so cool to me because when he starts First John, he's not saying, hi, my name is John, I walked with Christ, and these are the things that I learned from him. He doesn't write it that way. He starts it out, and he's saying, we. There's this, this cool term of we, and he's writing it this way. And, and I, just, I can see John whenever I read those words now. And I can just see why he's writing it. And it's not just flowery words. He's saying, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, that the life appeared. We have seen him. And we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard because I forgot. <laughs> and we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. With us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your joy complete. You know, these aren't just words of someone who, yeah, I know Jesus, let me tell you about him. This is the words of someone who has walked with Christ. Isn't that cool? It's not just, you know, and not to take away from any other part of Scripture, but it's not someone who, who just knows, who's been told that it's been passed down to. You know, we, we cherish those things as well. But this is a firsthand account, a passionate account of this is what has been proclaimed to me, and I share this with you. And I see John right there in the middle of that group saying, I've been there. I've seen Christ. I've seen him I can't remember if John was there, forgive me if not, but I've seen him turn water into wine. I've seen him share with a Samaritan woman who nobody else would talk to. You know, I've seen him change lives and cast out demons. And he says it's truth. And I know it, and it's been a part of my life. And as I'm looking, as I'm looking towards the end soon, as the, the end is coming, I need to share this with you. It's so important to him, and I love that. And I love the thought in the truth of the fact that as believers, we have this group of people. And I think as a culture, we ignore it, and it's so sad. It's so sad that we ignore um, elders in our culture. But we do, you know? We don't, we don't sit at their feet and, and learn from them, you know, as, as we should. You know, a lot of times we write them off and we say, well, you know, their ways aren't our ways. They don't understand our music. They don't understand the way that we do things. They're critical. You know, and there's so much more to it. There's so much more to that generation, that generation above all else, those people who have known it, experienced it, who have been there, who have been through it, and can teach and can share those experiences that they had, just like John, the way that Christ has changed their life. And it's a beautiful thing, and it's a great place to be. Let's look at the last group together. I call them the middlers. Um, I don't even know if that's a word but the people that are in the middle. 
Verse 13 says, I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Skipping to 14, it says, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now it's interesting because out of all the groups, this is the one he writes the most about. And it changes from 13 to 14. He adds more on. And I think it all kind of goes together. Now, in my mind, we look at little children, we look at this, this group of, um, of the newest believers, and we look at this group over here of, of the, the elders, those who have been with it for a long time, the mature, seems like everybody would be in this middle group just about, right? Like, we sent away all our little children to blast, and they're learning, and so now we've, we've got this big group of the young men. Now look at the young men, and, and what I want to do this morning is I want all of us to, to place ourselves where we belong in this, this strata that's been created by John. And I want you to, to each ask yourselves, um, where do I fit into this? You know, if you're here this morning and you know Christ, and he has, he has called you to himself at a point in your life, and, and he, is, he is real to you, and you have that truth, and you know and you understand, you, you're fitting in somewhere. If you don't know Christ this morning, I'm glad you're here, and I hope that the words that are spoken this morning and the songs that are sung and everything that we do points to Jesus Christ and makes you think about it and makes you think, well, where do I fit into all this? But as Christians this morning, I want you to think about this and think about where you belong because it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't really, truly, for the most part, it doesn't matter how long you've known Christ. It's about where your heart is and where your service is for him. So this last group, young men, gives us a great picture because you've overcome the evil one. They're overcomers because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. That's pretty cool. That's the group I want to be in. I'll be honest with you. That's pretty cool. Guys, we like, we like sword fighting movies and stuff like that. I do anyway. I mean, that's, that's basically, to me, what those verses are about. You know, we're, we're soldiers, you know, we're, we're battlers, we're, we're fighting the battles of the Lord. It's a cool place to be. But you can't just walk in and say, okay, here I am. I'm, I'm in that group. I'm fighting the Lord's battles. It's not like that. Let's look into it just a little bit more. It's real easy. Um, I shouldn't say easy. Maybe that's not the right word but I'm going to use it anyway. Um, it, it, it's sometimes easy to, to know him. You know, where it says, little children, I write to you um, because you know him, because you have known him, because you have known the Father. That step, I mean, not that it is easy, but sometimes it seems that way. But the easiest thing is to get to that place and say, I know him. And here you are, you know. And, and here you are again, and, and then here you are again, and a few years later you go, here I am, I know the Father. And then later in life you go, all right, I still know the Father. And the thing that, that I feel like John is teaching us here and that, that God's word is telling us is there's another whole area for us to move into. And in my mind, this is, this is it. This is where we come to really, truly live our lives as Christians. And I in no way take away from little children that early stage love it. It's a great place to be. I don't in any way take away from the elders or the fathers a great place to be. You know, even in, even in just, just general terms, um, 
when we think about like, like fighting battles and being soldiers and being warriors, you have a time where you grow. You know, you don't just sign up and rush into battle unless you're Mulan. Mulan did. She didn't know much. Um, but for the most part, if it's not a Disney movie, you don't just go right into battle and be a hero. You have years and years of training. Albert, you may know something about this. I think there's a little bit thing called boot camp coming up. Yeah, here it's not a cakewalk. Um, but that's what we do. We, we take these, these dear children, these ones who, you know, they know things, but they don't know a lot about battle yet, and we start to train them, and we build them up, and we build them up, and we just pour into them, and we challenge them and push them to their limits to, so they can get to a place where they're in that group, and they say, I am ready for battle. And as they go through life, and as they go through those battles, and they fight those battles, and they, they do these amazing things, eventually one day they're going to get over here, and they're going to be in this group of, of fathers or, or elders of the older group. And not any less important, but some of those duties have been relieved. Some of them. But think about all the people that are training this group. Who are those people? The ones who have been there already. The ones who have already trained. The ones who have, have done it already. The ones who have lived that life. All important. But at this point in my life, I feel like I need to be right there in the middle. I feel like that's my calling as a Christian. I grew up in church. And I don't say that in a bragging way, um, because it's not about if you grew up in church or not. Um, but I had the privilege of growing up in church and knowing him at an early age. So my time as a dear child, I feel like, is pretty much done. You know, if I'm still in this group, I need to get myself in gear and get over here because time is ticking. Time is ticking. I know I'm not old yet, but sometimes I feel that way. When I go play basketball and my bones hurt, what is that? I shouldn't be feeling that yet. But you know what? I'm not a child anymore. And I need to make sure it's not something that just automatically happens. Like I said, I don't wake up one day and say, I'm fighting the battles for the Lord right now. You know, I'm, I'm maturing in my faith. It's something that takes work. Um, there's a word in here. Um, it says in verse 14, it says, and the word of God lives in you. Um, I like that phrase, um, and I did, I did all my study through um, the New King James Version, and I really like the word that's used in there. Um, instead of saying, and the word of God lives in you, it says, the word of God abides in you. And I like that word abides. Um, to me, it, it just it means so much more to me. It it's abides, it remains, it's constant. Um, it continues, it dwells, it endures. It's not there at certain times and then not there at other times. It's always right there. Um, I was uh, thinking about it this morning, and the, the, the thing that I can get a picture of is uh, um, the place that I work, we deal with, uh, we deal with inks, and we color things, um, we make Easter grass, stuff like that, and we've got this nasty stuff called liquid colorant, and this is the nastiest stuff, like, I can't even explain to you what it is, but um, I can think of, like, a, a movie, a horror movie that I watched as a, as a young kid where, like, this gooey green stuff has a life of its own, and it crawls all over, and it gets all over you, maybe, like, that black stuff, and what was that, Spider-Man 3? that just like engulfs his whole body. That's what this stuff is. Like if you walk by a barrel of it and it gets right here, you can't just go like that and get it off. It's, it's there, it's done. You can't get it off. And as you go out throughout your day, you're like this and then it gets here and you're done. It, it's not coming off of there. And then later on, you're like, oh, it's so hot. And then it's on your face, all right? And then later on in the day, you know, you, you're, you're doing this and you're doing that and it's getting all over you and it's just consuming you and you can't get rid of it. I've got guys that take big pieces of tape and tape themselves so it won't spread anymore. It just crawls all over you and it's ridiculous. I've still got it on my hands from Monday. And I swear I wash my hands all the time. And I use the Purell like all good Americans do. And I take care of my hands, but it, it, it won't go away. 
And that's the way that I feel, I feel about this, is it, it, it's just in you, and you can't get rid of it no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, if you try to rub it off, it's there, and it's with you at all times. Do we have that? You know, if, if we're going to say we're in this group, and yeah, I'm, I'm one of the young men, I'm one of the young people, I'm one of the ones who has walked with Christ and has made that decision and is growing and is doing the work of God, does the word of God abide with you? Does it dwell with you? Does it continue with you? Can you not get rid of it no matter what you do? If so, that's a good thing. If not, we got to figure out how to make that work. When we talk about, uh, it says, because you have overcome the evil one, we can't talk about, it's impossible to talk about that without flipping to Romans 8. I mean, you can't do it. If you can, great, I can't do it. Let's go to Romans 8 with me if you want to. That's on page 785 in the Pew Bibles. <laughs> That's funny, Pew Bibles. I haven't seen a pew in a long time. Um, in your chair Bibles, your row Bibles, I guess. Um, we're going to look at verses uh, 35 to 39, some of my favorite verses um, of all time. And what I want to do with this is I want to read this because we're talking about fighting the battles of the Lord. We're talking about doing the Lord's work and just being that soldier that's, that's, that's standing on him, that's standing on that firm foundation of salvation that knows him, that has known him. I want to read about that a little bit. Verse 35 to 39, follow along with me if you want to. Um, where to go? It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Anybody want to say amen to that? I mean, that's, that's awesome. Like, how much cooler does it get than that? You know, that's just not a, you know, I'm a Christian, you know? That's like, I'm a Christian, you know? I am fighting the battles of the Lord, and it doesn't matter what comes my way, if it's death or life or depths or anything, nothing can get me away from that. Nothing can separate me from that. Man, that's where, that's where I want to be. Man, I want that. I want to feel that. I want to know that. I want to live my life knowing that no matter what happens, no matter what this crazy world throws my way, I'm right here. And, I'm, and there's nowhere else to go. I'm right here and I know he's with me. That's an amazing thing. Amazing thing. And once again, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. It comes, it comes through, through experience. It comes through, it comes with time. But it's not just all about time. One other passage I want to look at real quick. It's on page 814, and it's Ephesians chapter 6. I told you we were going to bounce around. But I think these words are a lot better than any words I can come up with. Oh, gee. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 12 through 17. And... Um, I mean, we could, we could teach on this for so long. There's so many amazing things, and I hate to just throw out these amazing scriptures and, and not have time to really dwell on them, but you know what? I think it's important. If we're going to claim that, if we're going to claim that in our lives that nothing can separate us from him, we got to be prepared because it's not about me saying it. I can say no matter what happens tomorrow, I'm going to love Jesus, and then everything around me crumbles, and I'm not prepared for it. We have to be prepared. 
This is an awesome passage, and a lot of times we don't talk about it because the kids get taught it, right? The kids get to put on the, the armor of God, and, you know, they do their cute presentations of, you know, the sword and everything, and um, this isn't just for kids. I mean, this is amazing stuff. Let's read this. Uh, verses 12 through 17 say this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Um, that would take some, some major explaining, but basically, the things of this world are not what we're battling against. You know, that's not the main battle. There's a lot more going on that's trying to drive us away from Christ. It goes on to say in verse 13, therefore, because of all those things, because of all the things that are trying to separate us, therefore, what do we do? Put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after all you have done, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, I like this part, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray. We sometimes kind of miss that part, but the next verse says, and pray. Guys, that's how, that's how we get to this point. That's how we can say, this is a group that I'm in, and I'm serving, and I'm serving in, as we call it, the Lord's army. I am fighting these battles not against flesh and blood, but against everything that's trying to draw me away, and everything that's trying to draw you away, and everything that's trying to draw you away. And my role in that, it's got to be founded in these things. It's got to be founded in what? Truth, righteousness, readiness that comes from the gospel, faith, Salvation, sword of the spirit, and prayer. Nothing to it, right? Easy enough. That's all we got to do. Well, not really. It's kind of like spiritual boot camp, isn't it? You know, Albert, you have to come back and tell us how it was. Um, but I think that, that, that we develop these things. We have to. We have to be in God's word that the gospel produces in us. Being in God's word, preparing ourselves, because it's not an easy path. You know, he doesn't talk about it as young men enjoy living life in the flower garden. You know, there's no flowery talk about it. It's not a pretty thing. It's not an easy road. It's hard. Those are all war terms. It's a tough place to be. The last thing we're going to look at this morning um, is in Hebrews. Um, feel free to flip over there, page 831. Um, Hebrews is, um, man, when we talk about Hebrews, Hebrews is a good book for, like, the fathers. You know, those who know. Hebrews is a heavy book. I don't discourage you from reading it, but it's a tough book to get through. There's some beautiful, very, very deep, very moving thoughts about it. In chapter 5, look at verses 12 through 14, and we're going to close up on this. Hebrews 5, 12 to 14 says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, 
but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And I share that because when I ask the question of, you know, I ask the question of myself, where do I find myself in, in this strata that's been created by John? You know, where do I place myself in that? I know where I want to be. I know um, when I look at my, my life in Christ where I should be. And I hope you, you think about the same things yourself. Because like I said, when I'm, when I'm over here and I know God and I take my stance and I'm here and I'm here to stay, I'm, I'm sucking my bottle of milk. You know, me and Brandon, we, we eat the same thing. It's milk all the time. It's a very elementary thing. It's what, it's what they start on. It's what they do. You know, they don't come out of the womb looking for sweet taters and corn. You know, they come out of the womb looking for milk. And we keep him on milk because it's the best thing for him. We don't just, you know, feed him milk for a week and then start, you know, filling him up with that nasty cereal stuff and then start just trying to get him off of milk in the first couple weeks of life. We let, him, we let him stay there and we continue to give it to him because it's nourishing and it's important. Because without it, his whole body is going to be all messed up because he won't know what to do. But you know what? There's going to come a time pretty soon where Brandon's not going to want milk anymore. He's going to start eating some other things. And we're going to kind of wean him off of milk, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm a new parent. <laughs> she reads the books and interprets for me and we make some decisions. Beautiful thing. Um, but we're going we're gonna to get him off of milk and we're going to move him over here and we're going to start giving him other things. And we're going to start building him up and he's going to get stronger and stronger and he'll have more, you know, more calories and things to burn as he's starting to crawl. And we start to wean him off of that. But you know, we don't want him to stay there. And it's the same thing this morning. If you know Christ, if this book is written to you and you know him and he's a part of your life and you feel like you're still right over there and you're just still getting the milk, getting the very basics, that very basic foundation of Christ died for my sins and I'm happy there, then you're in that, that first group. And if you've lived your entire life, you know, and maybe not your entire life, but spent years and years growing and knowing and loving God and serving and fighting those battles and, and feeling like you're a part of that and, and you're over here in this group, fantastic. You know what? These, these elders, these fathers, you know what? We need you. Man, we need you guys. Because without that foundation, without that knowledge of, of what life has been like, that experience that comes with years and that truth and that wisdom, this group over here is going to be missing out. And if you find yourself here in the middle this morning and you feel like, you know what, I'm there. I'm that, that young man, I'm that warrior. I'm that young woman, I'm that warrior. Fantastic. You know what, we need you. We need you. The beautiful thing about this passage is it describes back then when Christ had just died and they came to know him, it describes them beautifully. It describes us today beautifully. Very different world, very different times, but it describes us. It describes Family Bible Church. It describes Big C Church that we talk about all the time. The Church of God, all the churches, everyone that believes in Christ. And it layers us out. And what I want to make sure that I mention is if, if all of us here are right here and we're all happy and content and, and, and living on milk and happy with it and not serving and not stretching ourselves and not growing and not imparting that, we got a huge problem. Because I feel like God desires us to be right here when we know him and when that foundation has been laid. I feel like we need to be there. 
And the beautiful thing is we have awesome opportunities to do that. And I want to encourage all of you, if, if, if all you do is come in here and drink the milk of, of, of the gospel, and the milk being just the, the things that are taught, the things that, that happen here, if that's, if that's all you're doing, it's a great thing. Keep it up. But I encourage you, move over here, because I believe God wants to use you. I don't think God just wants you to be content with saying, Christ died for my sins, and that's life. Because there's so much more to it. And when I think about this, I can't help but think about BLAST. It's been on my mind so much lately, our, uh, our children's program. And I can't help thinking about that and thinking, we need people to impart that truth. We need people to impart that wisdom. We need people who can say, you know what? Maybe I don't know a lot, but I know that Christ died for my sins. And I'm growing, and I want to share that. Because it'd be the saddest thing in the world for us to say, to produce children in this church, to produce young people in this church, to produce adults in this church who can't even say because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. You know, that statement is not an overarching statement of all humanity and all mankind. That's written to Christians. And my prayer is that each one of you would find that place in your life where you're serving. Find that place in your life where you're encouraging others to grow, to grow deeper in Christ, I encourage you to find that place in your life where you're sharing with other people how to come to know Christ. Because if we're not doing that, we're not living the way that he wants us to. It's what our Bible says. It calls us to action. Join me in prayer. Father God, we give you praise for your word. Father, I pray that it's a blessing to those who've heard it this morning. I thank you for the blessing that it is to me to be able to share it. Father, the blessing that it is to be able to read it, to be able to know what you've called us to in this life that's not just life. We're not just here and then gone with no meaning, but Father, you've called us to something huge. And I pray that we take those, those tiny steps on the way to something huge. Father, I pray right now that, that as we have our, our heads bowed and, and, and concentrating on you, that we would, as a, as a body of believers, examine ourselves and dwell on you this morning. Father, we love you.